going to go right into our devotion tonight, like has been our practice here lately. Going into John chapter 12, a really challenging passage, but uh, I think it has a strong connection for us tonight. Still, in the, obviously, the times we're going through, it changes every day, right? <clears throat> and uh, now there's lots of talk about how and when to reopen and get back to closer to normal uh, time of life. So we got folks from <clears throat> lots of different perspectives, right? Voices saying, don't do anything yet, it's too early. To other voices saying, we shouldn't have done it this, this far at all, we should be going back to business as usual. So, and the experts are all over, uh, all sides of it. So we need clear words from God. We need to keep our eyes and hearts and minds fixed on the Lord. Amen. So let's go ahead. Grace and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the presence and working of His Holy Spirit among us and within every single believer. Amen. John chapter 12, we're going to pick it up at verse 37. And this is, um, of course, Gospel of John is written by eyewitness disciple, John the beloved disciple. And John's recording of Jesus' ministry is very different than the other three Gospels. Those first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they were written fairly close in timing to each other. John wrote his Gospel quite a bit later in time. So that we think that's one of the reasons why John has lots of new material he rarely shares, talks, writes about things that the other three gospel writers did. I think it's because John's like, those guys covered that, did a good job. I'm going to share things that aren't in their gospels. It's a new material for us, but it's all eyewitness material. <clears throat> so here John is uh, apparently kind of wrestling with why some people come to faith and some people don't, which is a fascinating topic, right? So let's see what he has for us tonight. John chapter 12, verse 37. Though Jesus had done so many signs before them, meaning Jesus showed his signs and miracles out in public all the time, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So here's what John's starting with. He says, this is towards the end of the three years of Jesus' public ministry. And John says, you know what? I've seen Jesus do miracle after miracle, after sign, after wonder, day after day for three years, and still some of these yahoos don't believe in him. So he's wrestling with that truth, just like I think we do on some different occasions. <clears throat> so he says, <clears throat> they still didn't believe in him, and, but then he says, God told us this would happen in the Old Testament. He says, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah, this would be about 75, 750 years before Jesus. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here's what Isaiah wrote. He wrote, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? <clears throat> so Isaiah 750 years ahead of time, he sees, God shows him the ministry of Jesus the Messiah, 750 years ahead of time. Isaiah apparently had visions. God showed him what Jesus' ministry would look like, and God also showed Isaiah what the response would be like. And Isaiah wrote down, God, Jesus, the Messiah is, is speaking all these things, he's revealing things. 
uh, his, the arm of the Lord is being revealed. He's doing all these miracles and signs, but who, who believes? I don't see a lot of response sometimes. So verse 39, John writes, therefore, they could not believe. You're kind of going, hmm? For again, Isaiah said, he, God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, that's kind of disturbing at first glance, right? Why would God blind people's eyes? Why would he harden their hearts in a sense to keep them from turning away from their sins, turning to Jesus and being saved? Why would God do that? Well, if you're an Old Testament reader, this is probably ringing a bell or two. You go, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a story in the Old Testament where someone's heart becomes hard over time, and then God hardens the heart towards the end to fulfill God's purposes. You know that story? That's Pharaoh in the 10 plagues. It's back there in, in Exodus. Look it up in your Bibles. Read through that. It's fascinating. When you read through the story in Exodus, focus only on Pharaoh's heart, where the Bible tells us what's happening to Pharaoh's heart. So what happens in the 10 plagues? Each of those plagues is a miraculous sign that God is God and Pharaoh isn't, right? So the first one, two, three, four, five plagues, almost every time it mentions that Pharaoh saw what happened, he saw the sign, he saw the miracle, and it says, but then, and Pharaoh almost thought about letting him go, the Israelites, but then, no, then he hardened his heart. So it mentions, I think it's three or four times the Bible mentions Pharaoh was hardening his own heart, saying, I'm not going to believe. Choose not to believe. Then later on, towards the end, sixth, seventh, eighth plague, it says, God hardened his heart. Now, what that tells me is we get to know our God through the scriptures, right? And we see what's God's heart? God's heart, it's stated many times. God's heart's desire is for people to see him, know him, his promises, believe and be saved. That's God's will. So why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, he'd already been hardening it himself, right? Got to read the story. God knows our hearts far better than we do ourselves. And so I believe what it's showing there is that God knows when Pharaoh had passed the point of no return, when Pharaoh was, was not reachable. And then God further hardened his heart uh, to serve God's purposes, which was to get the good news out to the, the whole nation of Egypt, right? So here's what he's referring to. God blind, Isaiah says, God blinded their eyes. Some of the people who saw Jesus do miracles over and over and over, it says, God blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. That's not, it's not saying that God's being a jerk and, and hardening some people's hearts and sending them to hell. That's not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is God knows hearts. And, and here's the deal. They say in America that people need to hear the gospel, hear about Jesus and his saving love on the cross numerous times before they say yes and get saved. It used, the old average used to be seven times they need to hear the gospel. Somebody mentioned to me just a few months ago that it's way, it's way more than that now, that the number is going up in America Somebody has to hear it 10, 14, 20 times before they say yes. Okay, here's the deal. This passage is making it fairly clear that 
the, the longer, the more times we hear the gospel, the more times we see the signs, we get introduced to Jesus, and the more times we say, mm, not today. In general, folks, it becomes less and less likely that we're going to say yes. Now, the flip side is kind of true. Each time we reject, our hearts get a little harder, get a little harder, get a little harder. It's so only God knows that. But that's really something to be pondering tonight. So I don't know where you're at listening to this. Where are you at on the continuum? Are you already uh, head over heels in love with Jesus and you're lock, stock, and barrel saved and say, say glory to God? The Holy Spirit helped you get there for sure. It wasn't your choice. Holy Spirit drew you to Jesus, helped you to believe. But if you're not there yet, then my question for you is, do a heart check and assess for yourself, which direction am I going with Jesus? Am I slowly distancing myself? I keep hearing the gospel, keep hearing the invitations, but I'm going, well, you know, not today. I like this. I, I'm, I'm drawn to this. I like the idea that Jesus loves me, but you're, you're not making the decision. Are you slowly drifting further away from Jesus, or are you in the the growing on fire, more and more fascinating, more and more interested, being drawn to Jesus phase. I hope that's the one, if you don't have him yet. But if you, if you realize, you recognize now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you're realizing, I, th I, think, I think I'm slipping the wrong direction, then tonight's your night. Tonight's the opportunity to say, I, I reject that. I don't want to slowly drift away from Jesus and let my heart grow cold. Tonight's the night to take a giant step forward and say yes to him and not miss the opportunity. Amen? So he's going to continue here. Verse 41, John says, Isaiah said these things. He's, John's quoted two different prophecies from Isaiah. He says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, Jesus go, wait a second. What? Wait, Isaiah said these things because Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke of Jesus, what, 750 years before he came. And you say, what is he talking about? Let's go over there just for a second. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, pretty famous passage. I haven't been there a long time preaching-wise, so let's lift this up. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, written by Isaiah's own hand. Here's what he says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, if you're looking at your own Bibles, notice that the word Lord there, capital L, but then lowercase, O-R-D. Okay? That means Lord, Curios, almost always refers to Jesus. Okay? I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I used to confuse. I didn't focus on the Lord, the, the word Lord there and figure out exactly which, which part of the Godhead are we talking about. I always kind of assumed Father. And when it talks about the train of his robe fills the temple, well, folks, God is spirit. God the Father is spirit. He doesn't wear a robe. But who could? The Lord Jesus certainly could. He has physical form. Um, so this is talking about Jesus. This is what I, Isaiah saw. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him stood the seraphim, specially designed angels. Each of them had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Now the Lord there is all caps, right? When the Bible does that in our English translations, that's telling us that's Yahweh, I am. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house house of God was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What did Isaiah see? He saw the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father in heaven. He saw them together. And when you look at all the rest of Isaiah, God showed him so many things. Prophecies about that time he was living in. Prophecies about the end times. Prophecy about um, the millennium after the end times. Tons of wonderful stuff. So when John says in John 12, 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him, we need to go, wow. So Isaiah saw the people struggling to believe or, or refusing to believe after seeing lots and lots of miracles and signs, stepping away from God. Isaiah saw it, prophesied about it. John said, I witnessed it. I saw it myself happen. I saw people, saw it, they saw Jesus do miracles day after day, and yet they refused to believe. I saw Isaiah's prophecy come true right before my eyes. What else has he got here? Verse 42. Now, on the positive side of things, right? Let's hear some good news. John says, nevertheless, lots of people didn't believe, even though they saw lots of miracles, but nevertheless, Many even of the authorities, like Pharisees and Sadducees and and folks, many even of the authorities, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. This is what some folks call closet Christians. You know, we believe, but we're not going to tell anybody we believe because we don't want the pushback from, from work. We don't want the pushback from people who have been friends a long time. We don't push back from family members who don't believe. We don't, we don't want the pushback. So we, we believe, but we keep it to ourselves. That's what John said. He says, yeah, there were lots of leaders who believed, but for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it. They didn't admit it out loud so they would not be put out of the synagogue. They weren't gonna kick, didn't want to get kicked out of church. And this is pretty pretty telling here. John says then, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Wow, we sell that short, don't we? So often, and I know this myself, it feels like who I'm with and what they think of me is the most important thing right now, that's for sure. It feels like that. It's because we don't often have that eternal perspective, right? If I'd look up from what people think about me and what they say about me, if I'd look up and go, God, what they think about me and they say about me doesn't really matter a whole lot because you're the one that decides my eternity. You're the God of all things. You made me. You're the one who's most important. If I had that perspective all the time, I wouldn't care as much about what these people think about me. And I would tell them what? I would confess. I'd say, you know what? Love you guys to pieces. Um, You can respond to this however you want to, but 
Jesus Christ is my Lord. He saved me on the cross, and he's my God. He's the most important thing in my life. Right? So it's fascinating because John says, yeah, some of the, a lot of the leaders got saved, but they didn't tell anybody about it because they were scared of the pushback. Now he's going to give us an example of what it's like to stand up and declare your faith. And it's Jesus. Check this out, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not so much in me, but in him who sent me, in the Father. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Because what did Jesus do? He only did what the Father told him to do. He only spoke what the Father told him to speak. So he says, if you believe in me, you're actually believing the one who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me, verse 46. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Okay, you got to get this straight. Hear it up right now, straight up. The normal place for humanity is in darkness. That's our normal surroundings. It's our normal thought patterns. Darkness. What does he say here? Whoever believes in me, I have come into the world as light. What kind of light? Pure, righteous truth. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So we're, until we get a hold of Jesus, until we meet him and come into his light, we are in darkness. God doesn't want us to remain there. He doesn't want us to stay there. So he sent Jesus. So we could see his light, be drawn to it, receive him, say yes to him, and remain in his light forever. Verse 47, Jesus says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I, I do not personally judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Get that straight. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He didn't come with the sword the first time to, to whoop on us. He came to go to the cross and save us. That's the heart of Jesus, which is the heart of God the Father. He came to save the world. He says, he says I'm not going to judge you. That's not why I came. So you're going, well, then who does do the judging? Oh, listen, verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You see, that's kind of odd. It's odd to our, East, our Western years. But think about it. The word that Jesus spoke, what is it? His word is alive. It's active. It's actually God himself speaking through Jesus. So that's how the word of Jesus can be a judge on the last day. But there's more. Why does the word that Jesus speaks able to judge? Why is it able to judge? Here's why. Verse 49. He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Why do the words Jesus spoke, why are they able to judge our lives because they came straight from the Heavenly Father. Now this is amazing. Catch this verse. You might want to write it down, put it on your refrigerator, just kind of ponder it. Verse 50. Jesus says, And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Wow. So Jesus says here in this passage, right here, this is powerful, straight up stuff. 
is I didn't come to judge and condemn and destroy. I came to save. And I came obeying my Father's commandment to speak and to say and to exhibit this. I've come to give eternal life. It's in me. I am the gate. I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. I'm the only way. This is the Father's commandment. Save everyone who will believe in you unto eternal life. Oh, that's good news. So Jesus says, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So with this virus and stuff going on, you know, those 10 plagues back in Egypt day, those 10 plagues helped reveal people's hearts. They helped reveal Pharaoh's heart. What direction was it going? Did you know what a bunch of Egyptians got saved during the plagues? A bunch of them left Egypt and went with Israel when they crossed the Red Sea and headed towards eventually the Promised Land? Yeah. So this virus that's going around the world and, and still messing with America... One of the things God has purposed in it, has allowed it to happen, is so that it will reveal hearts. Are we running away from God, rejecting him, shaking our fist at him? Or is this virus causing us to say, I've been depending on my money, my job, been depending on my, um, my party, my, my um, political party, <laughs> whatever, been relying on food stamps or whatever we're relying on to take care of our lives. This uh, virus has turned all that upside down. It's shown all those things to be bankrupt and almost, almost helpless. So is it drawing you to the Lord Jesus Christ or are you stepping further away? Here's an opportunity tonight to say, government can't save me. Stimulus check isn't going to fix everything. Um, the best mask I can get may not protect me. All those things that we might have been relying on, they might come up empty. A lot of them are. The Lord Jesus Christ will never come up empty for you. He went to the cross, died with your sins on his back, died the death you and I deserved, and then he rose from the grave. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So he offers you that victory, that cleansing, that forgiveness tonight. Right?